Hi everyone, I'm here today with one of my good friends, Salona Sisko. And I used to live with Salona a couple years ago in this really wonderful community setting. And I'm repping one of our shirts from, from that area. Do you see it? <laughs> from yeah, one of our, our Moab, Moab shirts. And um, yeah, one thing that we're going to try to do in this podcast is we're talking to each other on Zoom right now. We're going to let you know some of the, <laughs> the cues that are happening, happening between us that aren't just um, audio cues to clue, clue you guys in. But um, yeah, I'm really, really honored to be Salona's friend for a lot of different reasons. She's an extremely brave person. And yeah, she was visiting me a couple weeks ago and we were both, I think, we talked about lots of things, but one of the things that we were both going through was challenges of aloneness and isolation and she really did a lot of things to help me understand some of the roots of of those feelings especially for people that have um out of the ordinary um either just aspects about themselves for example salona is on the autism spectrum and is also transgender and is also like a very genuine, true eco-warrior and like progressive um, with politics kind of person. So there's many aspects of her that are um, pushing like hugely the spectrum of like where our, what our society needs to be able to integrate and explore and participate in. And um, yeah, Salim is one of those people that's like genuinely so deep in so many areas of of like the trenches of bringing transformation to like to the society and she and obviously like you bear a lot of the brunt of being excluded and being isolated for those kinds of like inner truths and um you don't get validation for it and so so it's that's the most fundamentally challenging thing as a human to get rejected in many ways for these extremely like progressive qualities about yourself that are really true to yourself and um yeah it takes a ton of strength to be carrying forward with your true self even when it gets um when it's not understood and not able to be received and included by lots of people so salona has been learning a lot in her life about um what it what it means to, yeah, like to be herself and also what it means for society to be able to include people that are, for example, on the trans, on, on the autism spectrum or are um, transgender. And I'm really looking forward to talking to her more about her perspective and her identity and all, and a bunch of things. So I know I introduced you pretty thoroughly right there, but do you have anything else to say about introducing yourself? I, it just has been a journey uh, of discovering myself, of getting more and more means of validation, like of a little later in life, there being more things in the media, like this new show called Everything's Gonna Be Okay. And now with the advent of direct-to-consumer DNA testing, I've been able to find this long lost half sibling 
who I have a lot in common with, and that feels validating seeing so many aspects of myself in them, such as the autism spectrum and the transgender spectrum. Can we go a little, can we go directly into that since you brought it up? What it's yeah. like, what do you mean a long lost sibling? Could you explain to people how, how you had a long lost sibling? I, I mean that I was conceived through sperm donation and I was told that when I was about 12 years old and it was considered taboo. And so I couldn't really ask my parents about it much. And it was a closed donation process. And so I wouldn't have been able to find anything about it from the sperm bank about who my half siblings might be, who my genetic father might be. And uh, with me getting slightly less poor and with the prices dropping of direct-to-consumer genetic testing, I was able to spend a couple hundred bucks on a 23andMe DNA test kit and I sent my saliva in and I was matched with some people who were have siblings who were also donor conceived and they had found out who our genetic father is. And so I was able to find the identity of him and the daughters that he raised. And I met one of these uh, donor conceived half siblings back in early December after being tested in April of last year. And seeing them in Chicago, spending some time with them, we just really hit it off. Yeah, and how old are you again? I, I'm 28, and this particular half-sibling is 37. Mm-hmm. So, and you met them when you were 28? Mm-hmm, yes. Now, could you talk a little bit more about what that felt like? I, it was, we bonded pretty quickly, and... It was wonderful and life-changing and it was, it seemed serendipitous and surprising just them asking, do you have flat feet? And like, how did you know? Yeah. Do you have a, a history of thyroid issues? And I'm like, what, what, what is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Just all these coincidences of genetic predispositions, and it was interesting seeing how the two of us have dealt with these things in slightly different ways. Yeah, it seems like one of the core, really challenging things about having aspects of yourself that you don't really see where they're coming from on many levels is like there always is like a something that every aspect of us comes from, whether it's flat feet or like our hair color or anything and when you feel like you don't have access to where where those things are coming from even on the level i would say when i was talking about the level of not really knowing where feelings of depression come from or feelings of isolation when you start understanding why those those are inside of you not because you're a dark person or something but because of the way that your own self has been interacting with society and how it's been interacting with you it's super valuable and super empowering and it just yeah reminds you of yourself and i'm really happy that you got to meet them thank you um yeah so I'm going to read a go back to the meaning, go back to childhood, um, and read the 
the note on children's autonomy that you wrote down. And so this is something that Salona wrote that I think helps start off the conversation about um, how we can help children no matter what their circumstance, no matter who they are, if they were conceived through sperm donation or if they, anything, if they were adopted, if they're a refugee, like what are some of the things that we can be aware of to help that kid sort of discover who they are? So what Salona wrote was, children deserve to have their autonomy respected. It can be especially noticeable that children have had their autonomy disrespected when the child has out of ordinary traits slash identities, yet has no mainstream, yet has mainstream expectations forced upon them. This results in frustration and trauma. All children, however, will suffer, at least to a small extent, when forced to be into being controlled. So, um, Yeah, there, could we talk a little bit about, yeah, like being a young child, being in school, what are some of the experiences that you had based on feeling, feeling out of the ordinary that, that felt like a front, an affront to your own autonomy? And could you talk a little bit about um, what might have been a healthier scenario? Uh, one example that I've been thinking about more recently is things not being explained to me that I wanted to be explained. And sometimes this can be due to cultural taboos. Like in sixth grade, I really wanted the concept of swear words to be explained to me. Like, what is this B word that people are referring to? Someone please tell me what this word is <laughs> so that I can know how to navigate it better. But people just did not want to tell me. Mm -hmm. they, they treated me in such a way that I wasn't uh, valuable enough to, worthy enough of understanding, hearing this secret. And it was just frustrating. I'm still <laughs> wondering what the B word means. <laughs> I wish people would explain that. I've had enough of it. <laughs> they would say what it rhymes with. Like, it rhymes with... Uh, Stitch. Stitch. I, I identify a lot with Stitch these days from Lilo <laughs> and Stitch, for sure. And of course, I wanted to know about the intricacies of sex. And it wasn't until maybe a late middle school into high school that I was able to uh, find some good internet resources that were telling me uh, more deeply, thoroughly about what sex is and safe sex and uh, consensual sex, how to make sex feel good for people. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought up just that fundamental idea of having questions that it seems like no one wants to answer. Yeah, I feel like I've struggled that with that my whole life in many ways. The invisibility you feel when like questions seem to be denied like when you ask questions that people won't answer for whatever reason or whatever taboo and it makes me it also feels slightly related to what we were talking about before about the idea of it's not it's not exactly the same being but if you're in a group of people and you don't find the things fun that they find fun 
um, that's extremely just challenging because people are always trying to get you to conform to to enjoying the things that other people enjoy and as a child it's quite confusing when your interests stray from or your your sense of fun strays from other children to sense of fun yeah and it's something that it's sort of hard to reclaim as an adult for sure and it goes into like the bigger realms of what's my sense of motivation in life and purpose and everything like that um so yeah i i know i'm already failing at jumping around so much so forgive me but um could we talk about before i forget like the subject of sperm donation and you were talking to me when you were here about what you would have how it was presented to you and how you wished it could have been presented to you like that would have been more helpful uh the context when it was presented to me my mom was sick and she was going to have some sort of surgery at the hospital and she wasn't 100 percent sure that she would uh, make it back alive and i guess she didn't want to take the secret to her grave and so she told me and probably my siblings too at that point and it just wasn't really discussed after that mm -hmm. if if i did try to bring it up with her I, it she would just rebuff me and i did not dare bring it up with my dad mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. and i think the ideal would be for the parents raising their kids in such situations to be honest with the kids up front from the beginning like when the kids are four or five years old and just the parents can explain it in an age-appropriate way saying that the parents may have had difficulty conceiving the child they needed medical help they were able to get help from some other man out there who gave a little part of himself so that the child could come into existence and as the child gets older they can be told more thoroughly what it means that they were conceived through sperm donation mm -hmm. yeah that that feels very good and smart and just to let you guys know a little bit about the physical reality that's happening here <laughs> beyond the audio is Salona just moves to Seattle with all her belongings <laughs> on her back and in her arms and right now she's in an Airbnb with a very cool picture behind her that I can't quite see because your head's in the way but it has a, a long um like thin boardwalk going out into a, a lake or do you think it's Puget Sound, a part of Puget Sound or do you think it's just generic? I, generic some other lake. Yeah it's just some lake but it's very expansive it's like a infinite potential kind of picture and um so that being said could you and Solana also has a cup, <laughs> a special mug that she brought that says, yay, same vagina forever. And it's placed perfectly 
was perfectly out forward so that anyone in front of her could read it. And now it's not. So now it's a little more sly. And now it's disappearing. So, Salota, could you um, educate us a little bit more about the autism spectrum? Because as you noticed in me, even I, even I, like, even though I never thought about it, I definitely have qualities that are inching on <laughs> into the Asperger spectrum a little bit. And could you help help us understand that a little bit more? Yeah, there's an article from Neuroclassic that I'm finding very helpful for enhancing my understanding of the issue. Part of what it says is that people might think that the spectrum looks a little quirky, definitely autistic, tragic autistic, but it's really so much more complicated. There's so much more to it. There are all these different categories of uh, potential traits that would usually pop up in autism. The website is showing a spectrum that includes seven different categories and someone who's autistic will generally have at least three or five maybe all of these categories some sort of abnormal way of being in their mind with these categories and if someone only has one or two of these categories being abnormal it wouldn't be called autism it would be called something else like a sensory processing disorder mm -hmm. uh, neuroclastic is listing pragmatic language social awareness monotropic mindset, information processing, sensory processing, repetitive behaviors, and neuromotor differences as mm -hmm. uh, categories of uh, ways in which autistic people will very often be significantly different in their minds from uh, neurotypical people. Mm -hmm. And can you just talk a little bit more about um what you think needs to improve and what knowledge needs to be out there so that quote unquote neuro yeah neurotypical people can be more aware and able to um welcome and understand uh, autistic people i i guess they can i see and hear about, read about autistic people, real autistic people, start to understand the common ways in which autism might be exhibited in childhood, teenage years, adult years, and then they can start to understand what we autistic people might be meaning, what sort of feelings, emotions, and thoughts we might be portraying through any unusual behaviors that might seem odd. Mm -hmm. and, and that can include a stemming. And I'm not really sure if it would be called stemming a for a certain behavior that I exhibit. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when I'm taking in some information that I wasn't expecting to take in and I, it's just a lot to process. Mm -hmm. I'll wave my arms around mm -hmm. and it just... Is that stemming? 
Yeah, that might be considered stimming. Uh-huh. But I, when people say stimming, it will often refer to other things, like maybe this. Lana's <laughs> <laughs> waving her arms a little bit like dinosaur <laughs> fashion in front of her, T-Rex fashion. Or it might be a rocking from side to side. Mm-hmm. This is like a boat swaying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I... Are there any other qualities of yours that that you... I don't know, that you understand because they're, they're yours that you want to talk about? Differences? For me personally, which I haven't heard from a lot of other autistic people, is a rapid eye movement mm-hmm. when I'm encountering some sort of intellectual challenge, difficulty, and I need to think quickly. Some situations just might instinctually call for that arm waving, whereas other situations, very often test taking or a difficult question where someone asked me to remember something and I try to remember all these different things. Mm-hmm. And it can help for me to sort of blink uh-huh. a few times. It can help <laughs> for my eyes to just really quickly dart from place to place. Uh-huh. And f- for whatever reason, that helps to facilitate some quick thinking on my part. Yeah, I mean, there's all sorts of things about the idea of where your eyes look sort of have to do with what part of your brain you're accessing. And it's sort of, as you're doing it to me now, it sort of looks like you're doing a brain sweep <laughs> with your eyes. Yeah. So any, anything else? I, I just, I'll say like with our, previous conversation that I notice at least two or three of these categories, Maya being significantly different from the mainstream on them. And so that's why I I was telling her that she seems just a little bit autistic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. And, um, Yeah, do you have anything else to say about autism in particular right now before we talk about transgender stuff? Uh, I'll say that there's a nonprofit called Autism Speaks and it's run by, not, not by autistic people, but people who may be parents of autistic people and who, for what are the whatever reason, want to cure autism, who want to get rid of autism rather than helping people to understand and accept autism. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, we were talking before about like the idea that it's it's so common if you portray any out of the normal traits in society that it's something that you that often children and adults are trying to sort of therapy their way out of like change their own behaviors so that they can fit into the norm and and participate in the norm as as like what i think people want it to be like okay so that you can be functional in society but what you're really doing is like training someone away from who they truly are and 
I know I, I said that generally, but I definitely have a very an intuitive feeling about that not being good at all and and actually weakening to the spirit of the person that's having to be changed and we need to focus so much more on the understanding part of it and not on the making making people who are abnormal have to change any of their qualities um that's very harsh and oppressive i would say yes there are other nonprofits out there that uh, help actually help people who are actually autistic through means other than ABA therapy. And what's ABA therapy? Could you say? Applied behavioral analysis. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's done from a behaviorist perspective. Pavlovian, the sort of thing you would expect with Pavlov's dogs. And for people who who know that reference but aren't remembering it, could you could you say, well, like the idea of Pavlov's dogs was the idea of treat, or I'll, I'll say, the yeah, the idea of training someone with the reward or punishment to exhibit a certain type of behavior, and that's not how we want to be training each other, right? For sure. I mean, that's already what social conditioning is, pretty much, and what we're trying to undo here. So, yeah. So now let's go into, could you talk a little bit about your process of um, recognizing that you were a woman and that you wanted to be a woman? And yeah. Uh, for me, it was a long drawn out process. And I made the process my own. It was very influenced by how I was and by the, all the parts of who I am. Like, I was going on Reddit and I was essentially debating intersectional feminists, transgender people, trying to get really deep down, understanding the core of these issues, what it means to be transgender, mm -hmm. what it looks like to be transgender, what it means to be cisgender, I, what the process is of transitioning, what it can look like, like what it visually can look like from someone before starting hormones, before socially transitioning to then after being on hormones for six months, a year, three years, what sort of effects that can have on the body for people of different ages, people who may have looked different ways beforehand with different facial shapes and body shapes. Mm -hmm. And that helps me to get a better understanding of how I might fit in there. And then also I had some experiential things happening in my life. I was able to experiment sexually. I, part of that was just at home, masturbating and having my imagination, imagining myself as being female and being a woman and noticing that that felt very good, that maybe if I were just a woman to begin with, then that would feel better sexually. And mm -hmm. 
I, I had a particular sexual experience in July of 2012 where I visited a girl in New York City in Brooklyn and uh, we had regular sex and we had dinner together and we watched a movie together in a room but we also what we were re really there for was for pegging for her to put on a strap on and mm -hmm. uh, f uh, fuck me in in the anus and that was quite an experience for me mm -hmm. to have some sort of simulation of being penetrated like that by a woman, I guess, to separate it out from being penetrated by a man. Mm -hmm. And I'd also experimented with having sex in various ways with men at that point. Mm -hmm. And I was able to tease apart all the little parts of these issues for me, sexually and otherwise. And, yeah. and then learning about a particular college, Hampshire College, that she in fact had went to for a short time and me visiting that college reading about a lot of the experiences of people who were going to that college and that opened up my eyes to different ways of being to to being potentially in a progressive community what that can engender in people the sort of courage that can come about being in such a place, being people being able to express themselves in ways that they otherwise might not have expressed express themselves in. Mm -hmm. And that showed me that I was capable of transitioning if I wanted to. That helped to give me courage. Yeah, that really is an amazing amount of depth and like multi-dimensionality that you have that you have to go into to allow your brain to open up to like follow what you know feels right to you so and how old were you then like how long? i was 20 years old 20 years old so yeah it's been eight years and how has your experience of like being on hormones been for you like how does that feel i well, at this point, it feels normal. Yeah. And... <laughs> it seems happy. <laughs> well, I, 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 right now I'm running out of estrogen pills and I have an appointment for getting refills and that'll be better. But I, I guess it feels especially good when I can cycle my hormones, when I can have more of the estrogen pills and take less at a certain time of month, more at a other time of month, and when I can take the progesterone also and take it only for like 12 days of the month, and that way I can feel more emotional depth, more of a variety of emotions, and that feels more humanly complete to me. Mm -hmm. and when I was early in transition, just getting on hormones, it was extremely exciting for me. I, I felt these senses and emotions, emotional depth that I hadn't experienced before. 
and I, I felt the effects of no longer having so much testosterone in my body, not having so much testosterone in my mind. Mm-hmm. And, there, and so there was less aggression, less anxiety within me. And part of it was a weird sort of anxiety that was leaving me. And not this sort of anxiety that I might feel anymore. It's mm-hmm. tough to describe. Could you try just a little more to explain like the difference between, yeah, that, that had to do with your transition versus whatever anxiety you have now? I, I guess it was a high energy anxiety. I, a sort of aggressive anxiety and a sort of maddening, frustrating anxiety. Whereas now it would be more of a depressive or a sad or lonely non-energetic anxiety. Mm -hmm. yeah that has I don't know I don't want to speak for you at all but that probably has more to do with the uh, a feeling of isolation than than anything particularly related to that subject and Solana's nodding so (laughs) um are there any things that obviously like it takes incredible bravery like you figuring out how to navigate this on yourself on your own when it's not a topic that that pe- that people support each other on very thoroughly are there any things that you would say um resources ideas anything like for people to that you've learned that could help people A big resource for me years ago was reddit.com slash r slash ask transgender. And I guess I would recommend that to people and also the subreddit transition timelines. That can be enlightening to see what people look like visually before and after transitioning. And also there's a website called Intersectionality 101, which is good for just a basics of intersectional feminism, whether it's about transgender issues or otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks. Anything else that you want to talk about related to um, trans being transgender and and fitting and feeling a part of society and fitting in and all those kinds of things like uh, things that you wish people were more aware of uh, I wish people were more aware of of babies of oh. the idea of not pushing gender onto small children, of not looking 
at the baby as it's being born or the scan of it in the womb and looking at its genitals and be like, oh, that's definitely a boy since it has a penis or a girl since it doesn't have a penis. And so often, even if it's only like 1% of the time that that's wrong, it still is wrong 1% of the time. And so we shouldn't be basing the gender of the child off of that. We can let the child decide for themselves what gender they are. And they'll typically say what gender they are at about three or four or five years old. And usually that'll be the gender we expect them to uh, identify as based on their genitals, but so often it won't be. And this just gives them more freedom to be themselves, to not have undue influence from society, but uh, not be influenced by society's conceptions too much of gender roles, what it means to be a girl or a boy. Yeah. That way they can just be human and be a okay. child and have that be a good experience for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thank you for saying that. And yeah, I it just reminds me of what a huge here we've got a new mug going on. <laughs> what does it say? It says detach with love exclamation mark. What does that mean to you? This is the new mug of tea that she's drinking from. I, it means that there's a psychological concept of secure attachment. And if a child or teenager, adult has, has been attached securely into a loved one, then they can detach with love. They can have that psychological need met of of love and feel free to go on to their higher levels in the Maslow's hierarchy of of needs such Uh as Mm self-actualization yes you are embodying this go for it i want to embody this and i want to solve my own psychological issues and if if that means uh attaching with love to my long lost older half-sibling, then that might need to happen. And so be it. Hopefully they would be down for that. Yeah. I love that you combine those things. Like, I feel like attaching and detaching with love is more like a latter kind of, like I wouldn't want to emphasize the detaching word in any other way, but anything that's that's keeping you from your self-actualization. that you like if it's a relationship or a person whatever that you not keeping you from your <laughs> from your self-realization but obviously not not your forward step that you don't um feel like you'd be losing any love yeah by um moving moving on with your for yourself and so th- that's a good mug is that your mug i it just belongs to the house that I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. Do you have any others there? <laughs> we might not even need to talk about anything else. You can just show the mugs. All right, now we've got one that is explaining the B word and also 
it's quite ugly in fact like in my opinion it's like this ugly pancake with two different eyes and a mouth and a knife and a fork coming out sort of his ears and it says biscuit bitch if you explain it to me please it's the logo for a Seattle restaurant. I guess it's a <laughs> brunch restaurant, and uh-huh. they sometimes do vegan events. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just obviously have a problem with the word bitch, so uh, I'll let it let it be. Anything else? <laughs> <laughs> it's so Seattle. <laughs> okay, so I. I'm very thankful for your patience with me learning how to do interviews and being scattered because Salona's is not like a lover of the scattered. She, she likes like purpose, purposeful, um, important things, but she's being patient. <laughs> do you have anything else that you want to add, Salona? No, not particularly. Okay. In that case, Thank you so much for being so open and for sharing everything. And now we're namasteing at each other <laughs> with our hands, but of course not spiritually, because me and Solana aren't. <laughs> Don't quite go into that, but it looks almost like Solana's going into her heart space right now. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm just joking. How do you feel right now, Solana? Hey, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling better than when we started this uh, video chat. Okay. Cool. And yeah, you look very beautiful today. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in Seattle. And yeah, thank you for all of your deep self-exploration. And yeah, I think we'll end there. But bye. (laughs) Bye, Maya. Most of the time, when the rain is start pouring, or how we grind and made the weather change for us. Most of the time, when the rain is start pouring, or how we grind and made the weather Most of the time, when the rain is start pouring, or how we grind and made the weather change for us. Or we never change for us. So smile for us when you see us drive for us, nigga. Watch us fall. Stop and start, nigga. Not at all. For money, money can buy me love I'll give you